Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I'm in a glass case of emotion. Time now for... Let's not get too excited. Yes! Give me 10, Norton! Everyone can eat shit. Woo! Overreaction Monday! Please don't cry like that. Please don't. Don't throw up. Don't. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Man, Will Farrell bringing it in. <laughs> you his beloved USC almost gagged away the Fresno game. Oh, they tried. Like point shaving tried. Yeah. <laughs> I always love those games. If they weren't, if they were point shaving, <laughs> what would they be doing differently? I'm not saying they were point shaving, but if they were, what exactly would we do different here? They yeah, wouldn't have uh, gone for the fourth and one oh, with the backup quarterback clinging to a lead uh, yeah. at midfield. That's, that was yeah. Mario Cristobal and Clay Helton's ear telling him to do a lot that. Of, <laughs> a lot of point shaving, a lot of horrible play. Uh, heartbreak, tears, blood. It's, it was just a wonderful week one. <laughs> a glorious, glorious opening weekend in this freak show of a sport. And we're not even talking about the coach you coach from a hospital bed. <laughs> we are going to get to. I can do the whole. Matt Norlander of CBS Sports requested 45 minutes on Hugh Freeze, and I think we could do it. <laughs> But there's many, many subjects here. Yeah. Don't take thunder on that, anyone. Like, there's, that that would be easy. <laughs> there's nothing like the misery of week one misery because it's oh. just, yeah, yeah, you've spent all summer talking yourself up. You start believing those three stars are really five stars <laughs> and they're coached up. We got a new strength coach. Our guys know how to lift weights now. We're good. Oh, Athlon picked us third in the West. Oh, we got a chance here. <laughs> And then you just come out and it's utter crap. It's just crap. <laughs> and you're like, what, what is this? We only have one play is the bubble screen. <laughs> Returning 10 starters from a bad team means we're still bad. It means we didn't recruit anyone better. <laughs> These bums. What is this team? I mean, it was just like, oh, no, we're not doing that again, are we? Oh, what a, what a glorious first week it was. Let's start where misery often is not known. The gaudy SEC just means more, gentlemen. Uh, for, I don't know, 15, 20 years now, really about 50. SEC 
has been saying it's the best conference in America. I have agreed most of the time. I've been part of the problem in saying they are the best, <laughs> spreading the word. Well, not this year, guys. <laughs> Sorry. Top six teams all won. Florida wasn't too impressive, but the rest were. And Auburn, I mean, by hook or by crook, man, they, they got the big win over Oregon. It wasn't pretty, but they got it. Yet the bottom of the league, holy cow, South Carolina loses to UNC in Mac Brown's first game. I mean, that was a bad UNC team last year. Missouri gets just run over by Wyoming. They may get close late, but I don't know if Missouri knows how to stop the run. Uh, well, they gave up like seven yards a carry to a Mountain West team. Uh, guess what, That's guys? All. Wyoming doesn't throw the ball. You might want to be able to tackle. <laughs> uh, Memphis uh, just controlled Ole Miss. They had no offense. And then the banana cream pie on top of a Calhoun's rib dinner. Tennessee lost to Georgia State, which went went two and ten last year. I think the Vols should have seen it coming when the uh, early on Saturday, a forty two foot boat dubbed "Chances Are" that was the name of the boat, part of the vaunted Vols Navy, caught fire and sunk in the Tennessee River. <laughs> Bad omen. Bad omen. <laughs> It's not a real Navy. There's no incoming fire. How does your boat? And this is you know, not like Mississippi yeah. State submarine get them or something. Yeah. <laughs> this is not like deadliest catch where there's like a 60-foot rogue wave through the Bering Sea. You're in a river. You are anchored in a river. Chances are... They might have been drinking. I don't know. Yeah. Chances are it was an engine fire. They swear they were not tailgating yet. Okay. Okay. Chance, chances are that some people left the stadium and said, I wish Coach Pruitt and Coach Fulmer were on that boat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to get in detail to Tennessee just because uh, our producer, Sully, just would love to hear that segment. Oh, yeah. But overall, I mean, the SEC teams cannot blame this on like we don't we don't get up for bowl games unless it's uh, BCS games uh, or whatever. <laughs> whatever their usual claim when they do lose is because they're not motivated or Alabama playing Alabama wore us out. None of that. What do we make of uh, what looks like a very mediocre? I mean, some of these SEC games should be broadcast on the Pac-12 network if this is how they're going to play. <laughs> yeah, look, the the East looks. Pretty dreadful under Georgia, you know? I mean, Florida won, and they looked awful. South Carolina, as you mentioned, blew a double-digit lead to a true freshman quarterback and to Mac Brown. They took an L. Missouri goes up 14 to nothing against Wyoming and then absolutely gets run over. And then there's the Vols. So uh, what what do you even say about that? No, it's it's and a bad Ole Miss. Start. Don't forget Ole no, Miss. Ole Miss, yeah, solid Ole Miss. 173 yards total yeah. offense. <laughs> first first game under Rich Rodriguez, uh, offensive genius there, and it didn't happen. So no, it's it, it, that that's taken a lot of a lot of shrapnel right there. Uh, and Missouri went on the road, played it. They they dared to play a Power Five team away. Uh, Ole Miss did the same, although it's in Memphis where they've got as many fans as Memphis does. Uh, but you know what? If you're 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 in the SEC, you're supposed to win those games. I mean, that those are bad, bad, bad losses. Certainly, the Missouri one is, the South Carolina one is, and then the Tennessee one is the loss of the weekend. Pete, so look, it's a bad weekend. Does it change like anything? I mean, I think 
nobody really cares how good a team is a team five or seven or seven and five or whatever. Um, but does it change anything in the fact of maybe getting two SEC teams in the playoff? Or is it like, look, if it's still Georgia and Alabama at the end, you know, whoever lose, it's not like the SEC is going to fall apart to the point where you might not put a second team in. What do you think? I think it actually helps the SEC in a weird way because there's like now an established pecking order. Look at Pat's face. Here's the thing. If you have a league that has a dysfunctional bottom and a healthy top, it helps the top because the top is less likely. Alabama's not going to lose to Ole Miss like it did five or six years ago. Mississippi State has gotten a little better. They looked okay this weekend, but they're not they're not a threat to Alabama, LSU, whoever whoever else in the West. So I think when when you do have a more defined pecking order, the problem when when leagues what happens with leagues is they cannibalize themselves. So I think in the macro, sure it was a disaster. And sure Tennessee fans are just in the ultimate walks of shame this morning, as as they should be. But I think at the end of the day, for the macro of the SEC, I don't think it really changes the perception of the powers in that league. Now the pressure will be on teams like Georgia and teams like Alabama to win convincingly in these games. There's no more like, oh, the SEC is so deep. You, we edged by Ole Miss, but that's okay. That, that, that argument's gone. But I don't think it's awful for leagues to sort of have uh, – what's, what's the phrase I'm looking for here? But, but basically it's like – Separation. Uh, it's, like, it's like the evolution chart, right? Like yeah. there's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's teams up top and then there's, there's, there's teams down bottom. You know, it's like in the, in the forest, you know, like there's, there's in elephants the who, yes, yeah, there's, you know, the, the elephants are very clear and the small animals that they will, they will sustain on is very clear. It's the worst science lesson I've ever heard in my life. It's from, from, so, so yeah, yeah, wait a minute. Like the Herbert. food chain, is that what you're talking Missouri about? Missouri is, is homo erectus. Food chain, uh, yes, food homo chain. Homo sapiens sapiens. I mean, when, as, no, I think Food uh, chain. I think they're like mid. Food they're chain. like a they're like a fox, but a coyote fox. will eat the fox. Yeah. <laughs> this this will stun you that I didn't take a whole lot of science class. I, I don't. I'm so confused. <laughs> I didn't know there's going to be science. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to Tennessee. Um, oh. I mean, Georgia State was two and ten last year. I, this wasn't even like look at losing at Wyoming. Okay. I mean that's. That's not it's hard to go up there. My favorite lines of all time about Wyoming was the great late great Jerry Tarkanian took one of his UNLV teams up there to altitude, seventy two hundred feet. One of the players said to him, uh, coach, I'm worried about this altitude. I'm not going to, you know, going to not have my my breath, uh, lose my breath easy. He says, oh, no, that's only outdoors. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't affect the indoor. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Anyway, they played the game outdoor. So, you know, look, that's a tough game. Uh, Georgia State at home. I mean, come on. It's it's certainly possible Pruitt gets this thing going. Who knows? But usually by year two, you see significant progress. This was certainly not progress. I think everyone goes back to Pruitt getting hired. I don't really think he was a bad hire. I mean, he's right off of Alabama's coaching staff, but. You know, they, they they tried to hire Greg Schiano. I don't know if Schiano would have done better or worse. No one would ever know. They end up firing him as this kind of mob starts screaming. They don't like him, so they bring up all this Penn State stuff that it's like double hearsay and it was totally unfair. And then they fire the AD, John Curry, who at the time when he got fired was had just met with Mike Leach and I think was going to get Mike Leach to come to Tennessee or was trying to if, if Tennessee was going to have him. And I was personally excited about the idea of the pirate and the SEC. 
but like Mike Leach isn't losing this game, man. And but they fire him and Fulmer gets the job out of nowhere because he's Phil Fulmer and he got Peyton Manning. <laughs> That's what I mean, you know. Uh, and now you get Pruitt, and now here you are, and it just seems like this whole thing's like chances are burning in the Tennessee River. <laughs> it Pete, is. Uh, Pat, Pat, I know you got plenty to say on this one. Oh, I, I, I have a thing or two. So. <laughs> um, from having heard from so many Tennessee fans for the last year and a half, when are you going <laughs> to eat your words? Saying we didn't know what we were doing in our coaching search. <laughs> oh, well, how, how are things turning out? I'm just, I'm just curious. <laughs> Five and eight so far, yeah. And they just absolutely punched Tennessee in the face in the second half. Tennessee's defense laid down. I mean, it was unbelievable. This is this is a two and ten team that just ran the ball straight at them, threw it at them, did what they wanted. They scored twenty four points, they had two hundred and forty yards in the second half. It was like Tennessee was like, oh gosh, this is hard, man. We're tired. We 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 got to stop. It was just pitiful, pitiful. And if that's what you're going to get. If you look, if you're gonna have a revolution, you better come out on the right side of it afterwards. Otherwise, you look stupid, and that's how Tennessee fans who had their little revolution look today. I mean, game wasn't close. Uh, yeah. Took a late uh, touchdown to get it with was. an eight. It's, again, it wasn't like miracle field goal. <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah, just just I, they got housed by Georgia State. Go ahead, Pete. So, when do you when do you institutionally, if you're Tennessee, sit back and say, man? We really screwed this up because I would think the red flags are waving right now outside. They hired a guy who has no business being an athletic director. He has as much business being an athletic director as we do Chippendale models. But he's a ball man, Pete. That's all that matters. He was so terrible when he was a coach with dealing with players and off the field issues. Philip Fulmer won a national title, and that's the only reason he's there. He's the he's the AD the other SEC ADs laugh at in the meetings. He has no clue what he's doing, and he went and hired Jeremy Pruitt because Jeremy Pruitt played ball like we played ball back when we won. Well, Jeremy Pruitt has been an unmitigated disaster. There's no other way to say it. And Tennessee has to come to a time where they're now institutionally, which they don't handle coaching searches and big decisions well, as we saw, because the president got run during the last search. They fired the AD when he was about to hire a good coach. They institutionally have to sit back and say, we screwed up as badly as any as, as any university making a decision in college athletics in the past decade in terms of a hiring. I mean, it was a wire-to-wire disaster. They have a terrible coach. They have an incompetent AD who's not qualified to do the job. And their athletic department, other than Rick Barnes, who's doing great in basketball, is a smoldering wreck. And when Tennessee comes to grips with this is going to be a fascinating question. Because I think it's pretty obvious to everyone who's sitting on this podcast right now that they're they're a disaster. And they need to do something quickly. But the problem with making decisions like that is they probably have – 10 plus million tied up in Pruitt if they wanted to get rid of him. Fulmer is still a legend. And so the, because of that, Tennessee is in a completely beautiful, untenable situation that they put themselves in and quite frankly, karmically deserve. When does Fulmer appoint himself coach? Oh, well that's, yeah, that's definitely coming. He has Barry Alvarez disease. I will say this. They do not have a horrible buyout uh, unless they redid this contract. I, I actually read it today. Uh, I believe before December 15th of 2019, it would only be $5 million to get rid of Pruitt. No. Only. Only. Yeah. Hey. But <laughs> I've seen worse. Oh, uh, it started worse. with six. Without cause. $6 million, $5 million, It drops $1 million a year. Um, so 
Uh, I'm not, I don't know if they'll fire him, but I mean, obviously you can turn it around. Uh, generally, this is a, a sign that you don't when you so, lose to bad, bad teams like this. And usually by year two, a team is, is like the vol. It wasn't like you inherited no players. Like no. there were players there, Butch, Butch right. recruited. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not willing to write them off completely yet, but there's nothing right now that makes you say, yeah, this is going to work. Uh, but at least, you know, look, they can probably shake that out and, and, and get rid of them after two years. I don't know. But I don't know how Phil Fulmer does that if this is what he was brought in to personally hire this one guy. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, this is where it was all, all went wrong for Tennessee. Sorry to cut you off, Pat. So Pruitt comes in and the offense is a smoldering disaster last year. And he runs off Helton, who ends up getting the uh, Western Kentucky job. Uh, but he was about to fire him, and then he then he scoots off and goes anyway. And this is where Jeremy Pruitt had a chance to salvage his tenure at Tennessee. He had to sit back and be creative enough and think enough to say, okay, I'm sitting here in the SEC East right now. I play Alabama in my crossover. I play Kirby Smart in Georgia, and I play Will Muschamp in South Carolina. I need to be different than them in some way because I am not going to build a better mousetrap than they've built because they're years ahead of me and they're better recruiting bases. And quite frankly, they're better, more established coaches. So I need to do something a little bit different, a little bit outside the box because I don't have the natural recruiting resources. And I'm not going to sit up and line up and blow them off the ball, which that offense requires. So what does he do? He hires George's OC. And he just, like, these Saban disciples are so tunnel vision in trying to become Saban. And we saw it with Muschamp at Florida. And we've seen it with a bunch of these other guys who've been failures. And they're basically just all they know is this model. And they don't have the coaching instincts and creativity and intellect to move and adjust. And so as soon as they hired Cheney from Georgia last year, I said, that thing's going to, that thing, which I already thought was going to fail, now has cement shoes. And they're falling. And it's been utterly obvious and predictable. The number of people at Georgia who shed tears for Jim Cheney's departure is zero, by the way. <laughs> I will say this. I'll say this. You look at the schedule, and if they can somehow get it together, they've got a chance. All right? BYU didn't look very good in their opener. Chattanooga, they they, they got to win that one, right? Uh, they'll lose to Florida. They'll lose to Georgia. Mississippi State probably lose. Alabama probably lose. But then South Carolina looks bad. UAB taking a big step back. Kentucky is taking a step back. Missouri was a smoldering wreck. Vanderbilt lost handily. I mean, it's not out of the question they win six games this year uh, with and still are a pretty bad team. But if they quit in the second half against Georgia State, which they appeared to do, do you really think they're going to keep the fortitude no. to, to getting their face kicked in by Georgia, Mississippi State, and <clears throat> Alabama and no. come back and play strong for the, for the brand no. at that point? I don't. I'm just saying that But the, they, they may be playing other teams that are in the midst of quitting by the by the second half of the season. Are you trying I to wonder... curry favor with Sully and give hope where there's no hope, Pat? Yeah. I can see right through your roost. <laughs> how, about, how about Pat trying to be nice? Yeah. I mean, early night, yeah. If it's you're good. a Tennessee fan I, at this point, are you at that weird Rubicon where you start rooting against the balls because you need this to end? I don't know. I think you're they, getting they close. Participated <laughs> in the hiring. So, yeah, again, they you sure had, did. You yeah. They're invested in this, or they should be. Yeah. Forget Shiano and that whole debacle. You almost had Mike Leach. You were going to probably uh, get him. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. Uh, you fired the guy. You call him back from California where he's meeting with Mike Leach. Mm hmm. Because of the, the Seattle thing, which you'd moved on from. I don't know. I, I do think this, too, about Tennessee as a program. I, I, you go to Tennessee. I think it's a it's a fantastic place. 
yeah. to, to play football oh, yeah. and be college sports. It's a great little city. Great. Yeah. At, you got the stadium. Awesome. There's yep. there's but when they won the national title. It, Alabama was down. Georgia was kind of down and Clemson didn't exist for yep. all intents and purposes. You are surrounded right now. And yep. so it is a much tougher landscape to win it at Tennessee because your recruiting base is basically North Atlanta and North Georgia. And because mm-hmm. Charlotte, in, where they're getting they're Charlotte, getting Charlotte now. Too. And yeah, all that, because you're the, the, the city that mo- Nashville produced a lot of players now. But Memphis is, you know, 600 miles away. Like you have this weird shaped state. You just, you know, it's a, it's a whole, you, you, you don't just control your state the way other ones do just because of the geography of Tennessee. And so you're just, you got to go into Atlanta where you're three hours away. Well, man, Clemson's taking all those guys or Georgia's taking them or Alabama's taking them. So I just think it's a little bit different deal. And it's, you know, we, we will see. I'm not ready to write the Vols completely off, but boy, they, uh, they handed everyone the pen to do it. All right, speaking of bad starts for year two, Florida State and Willie Taggart. Mm -hmm. Looked like the Seminoles were making a huge statement as they started trucking Boise State in the first half of this game. The offense looked sharp. They wind up losing 36-31 by scoring no second-half points. They gained just 49 yards, four first downs in the second half. That research, courtesy of Pat. I don't want anyone to think I actually Thank did you. research on this show. Pat did that and, <laughs> and gave me that. So don't be impressed by me. Uh, I watched the, the game. I watched a lot of that game. And it was funny because at halftime, they're like, Boise just wasn't tackling. Like, they're just arm tackling. And, and it was like, what the heck? Like, this is a terrible Boise defense. And then all of a sudden, they started actually tackling. That was the end of it. It was like, what, a, what an adjustment. What'd you, what'd you do, Coach Carson? <laughs> I told them to start tackling people. Wrap up. Oh, amazing. And then Pete, your your Hank Bachmeyer bandwagon is going to get crowded. Holy cow, can this kid play for the Broncos? Boise <laughs> is it he is good. I mean, he he is really good. Uh, everyone's like, oh, is he Kellen Moore? He's probably better than Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore played in the league a long time, not as a starter, but uh Boise's gonna be good. Uh, you know, I, this year going forward, if I'm a top wide receiver, I want to go catch this kid's passes. A wild game. Uh, what do you guys think? Pete, uh, Pete, we'll start with you since you're the Bachmeyer fan. Yeah, well, it would be it would be unlike me to pat myself on the back yeah. for a great call. But oh, you know what? Very. I'm going <laughs> to do it anyway. So I uh, the backstory of the Bachmeyer bus is I was around him uh, for a couple summers at the QB Collective camp. And uh, he was the quarterback that every counselor was like, Okay, he doesn't look the part, but he's better than everybody here. You know, there's all these like six foot six, like Rutgers quarterback. Is there Arthur Sitkowski, who's like this like Adonis <laughs> looking big cannon armed guy? Paramus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he stinks. Big so, arm kid from Paramus. <laughs> exactly. But Hank Buckmire is like. Dad sells ice. <laughs> Hank Buckmire is like. <laughs> They got him listed here on the Boise website as six one. He's probably like five eleven and a half. But he threw for one hundred fifty six touchdowns in high school, and he enrolled early, which was very wise. And the thing I liked the most about Hank Bachmeyer, getting to know him a little bit, was he could have gone to Minnesota, Boston College, some of these other places. And he said, "Nope, you know what? I'm going to go somewhere where a they prove they can develop quarterbacks, and b where I'm going to win a lot." and He enrolled early. He had a chance to compete for the starting job right away. I wasn't shocked at all that he won. 
Um, and look, he's he's rolling. The most impressive thing to me about him was he took a couple of vicious licks in the second half against Florida State. They had a couple of dudes come in unencumbered and crush him, and he popped right back up and immediately made big plays. He had, I believe, like a bad turnover in the second half. Florida State went three and out. Boise went right back at him. You know, he responded. He showed the, uh, you know, he showed some some toughness and, you know, those those things that can't be measured in quarterback stars. So the Bachmeyer bus has room. Come on board, everybody. Hey, I got to say, the, the, the Bachmeyer bus uh, impressed me for sure. No doubt. He was good. Did you want him to not be good, Pat? <laughs> was there like no, a little no, part no, of no, you? No, 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 no. I like Boise. I'm fine I with know, Boise. I know. Just remember who originated the bus. Uh, Boise clicked off 108 plays, which is part of the problem with Florida State. Uh, two things. First of all, you know, they're, they're just they're, they're still nowhere where they need to be in terms of talent. But the fact that the defense couldn't get off the field exacerbated the problems with the offense. And in the first half, everybody is singing the praises of Kendall Bryles. Oh, he's the guy who's going to change everything. That's all they needed. Look at Look at him go. They had three long play touchdowns, partly, as Dan said, due to poor tackling. But they were also 0 for 4 on third down. And then the second half, they stopped getting, they stopped getting the big plays, and they couldn't get the little plays either. They end up 1 for 12 on third down. They bogged down completely. And if you're going to be 3 and out, 3 and out, 3 and out, running that hurry-up offense, your defense is going to take a beating, and it did from Boise. 214 rushing yards, 407 passing yards for Boise, 600 and 21 yards in Dope Campbell Stadium. Willie Taggart, youch. It's a good thing for him. He's got a $17 million buyout, but that'll buy him a year three almost certainly if he can stand it because it's going to be really ugly if it's going to be like this the rest of the year. Yeah, I, the one thing I'll say, I mean, Boise's good, so you know maybe there's something else to that, but not. it wasn't a – you know, I, I, I'm less concerned about losing to Boise State than I am Georgia State. So for sure, maybe there's something there, but yeah, it was, it was not, I mean, it, it, it what looked like such a glorious day turnout for, for the Seminoles. All right. Uh, then there was the uh, totally nutcase Saturday night game between Auburn and Oregon. And it was it, again, glorious. This is how oh. I want my Saturday night ABC games to be. Uh, I don't know, Pete, you were there. So we'll get to you. Bo Nix becomes a legend. Uh, and I don't know who made more bizarre coaching decisions, the coach who lost oh. or the coach who won. <laughs> Auburn won and covered against, uh, unfortunately for me, uh, in the race for the case, thanks to a deep throw with nine seconds left by Knicks that made no sense unless you're Gus Malzahn and you might as well coach like you get $26 million if they fire you because <laughs> you get $26 million if they fire you, so might as well. What, what the hell? Total, talk about a coach with nothing to lose. Like, guy had fired me. Anyway. Pete, what the hell happened? Oregon uh, driving me crazy with their decisions. Uh, I know, I know, you went after Mario Cristobal, or I don't know, went after, but pointed out some just utter failures in, in decision making uh, on this. I'm going to make a sub point, which is going to set up something we talk about later. Like when I think about this game five years from now, I'm going to think about this awesome game happening right in front of like all the media in Jerry world and all any of the national media is doing is looking up Hugh Freeze stuff on Twitter because we were just so aghast with the hospital bed and the Coke bottle placement. And like, so it starts with like wheeling him in and then everything like that. It was, it was honestly debilitatingly distracting. It was like, no, 
Oh, and then he Skypes in the post-game interview. So anyway, that was like, yeah, I was probably not as focused as I should have been. No, I mean, look, Mario Crystal Ball, we talked about the podcast last year, pissed the game away against Stanford at home. They had no business losing that Stanford game last year. And, you know, it became a question. We talked about it a bunch uh, last year on the podcast. Can he manage games? Does he need help manage games? And, I mean, Oregon should have won this game a hundred different ways. But the final way they blew it was by basically having a 21 to six lead in the second half with, you know, 25 minutes to go in the game, something like that. And they simply just refused to drain the play clock enough to shorten possessions. And and look, Bo Nix is nice and he's a legend and his name's one syllable and we all love him. He was not that good. He was 13 to 31. He was running around like he like he did the dizzy bat race before the game, like a lot. Like he was just like he had scared, <laughs> happy feet. There were great moments. There were some awful plays. He looked like a freshman quarterback on a big stage. He could end up fine. But you have to sit there and be like, they're not going to beat us. Let's compress this game. It's not like you got Cam Newton on the other sideline who can gash you three straight possessions for like one of those Gus Malzahn 80-yard, you know, 56-second drives. So I just really think that between the double burn of the back-to-back timeouts, not knowing the rule, and then the, the subsequent drive, of not having enough forethought to actually drain the play clock for three straight snaps. Uh, Mauro Cristobal handed the game away, and it's now officially a problem. And I'll say this. I wrote the column last night. It was it was somewhat harsh, but I, I thought fair. It, it, of a negative column that I've written, I've gotten 0% blowback from Oregon fans. <laughs> They're all in, like, sad agreement. Like, they had <laughs> they had this game tucked away, and they fumbled it away. If you're an Oregon fan, that's, that's the thing, is you look at that and say, <clears throat> we blew that as much as they took it. And I'll give, I'll give Nick's credit and Auburn credit for just hanging in there yeah. when they were just massively outplayed. But the thing is, it's easy to hang in there and have hope when you look at the scoreboard and say, gosh, why aren't they scoring? Because they kept screwing up. Drop <laughs> touchdown pass, missed 19-yard field goal, fumble on a handoff. I mean, just giving away points. And it reminded me so much of Washington-Auburn last year. So I'm not sure this is a great sign for Auburn. They won a game against a team that self-destructed from the Pac-12. That's about all I can say for for Auburn at this point. But uh, if you're Oregon, yeesh, that's, that was such a golden opportunity. And you were the better team for so much of the night, but you kept screwing it up from the coaches all the way down. The, the, the clock management in college football where they, they won't snap the ball with one second left, yeah. but they do it with 10 to 5, 5 to 10 seconds. And I, and I read in your, your article, Pete, that you know, Crystal Ball basically said that. Like, we try to snap it with five seconds left. Why? Yeah. Why five? Why not yeah. one? Okay, you have the you have the potential number one pick in the NFL draft as quarterback. He can't <laughs> he can't yeah. count to one. Yeah. Like it, you know, you watch NFL, you watch you watch the Patriots, and Brady snaps the thing with one second because that's how you kill the clock. You kill yeah. all of yeah. the clock. You can a lot, of, a lot of NFL quarterbacks can do that, and a good lot of quarterbacks should be yeah. able to do it too. It's yeah. you're okay. You're lined up. You're staring at the clock. It says five. Everyone's in formation. Yeah. yeah. You all you do is stand there for four more seconds. It's not like there's a trick to it. It's actually harder <laughs> to snap it with five seconds because you have to have you have less time on the. I don't get it. it. Drives me crazy. I was watching the, the the Wyoming game against Missouri. They kept snapping at like nine. Like, dude, you're trying to end this thing, man. Like, go to one. I don't yeah. get it. What is the five to the one? I don't get it. And and all those four seconds add up. <laughs> to add up in that whole fourth quarter. And all of a sudden there's an extra minute on the clock, as you pointed out, Pete. Yeah. Crystal ball said after the game, we also felt like we were going to have to score. 
we felt like we had to get in a rhythm. We didn't feel that it would be a matter of taking the air out of the ball. We felt we were going to have to stay aggressive, which is like the like total wrong mentality to take. Like yeah. I had that quote, a couple coaches and uh, former players like texted me screenshots or referenced that quote to me this morning that they saw in the article. And they were just laughing out loud. Like, there's just, like, the completely preposterous mentality. But it goes back to, like, that Sanford game last year. They're like, it was it was second and two, and we're going to run down the roads and win their game and show them who we are. No, win the game. Make the high I, percentage play. Don't, like, in the sake of rhythm and aggression, don't piss away a chance to win. And that's what happened. More and more college coaches would do that. They will take foolish gambles so that they can look like we're aggressive and we're bold and we're fearless. And I think it's partly recruiting and it's partly machismo. But, you know, it's because when you go to, hey, you know, we're going for everything, man. You know, where are you going to play in the most aggressive offense in America? You come to Oregon. Okay, yeah, well, let's get – you're also going to play in a stupid offense too where, where we're going to take ridiculous gambles or we're just going to run the ball or we're going to snap the ball too soon. Or if you're Clay Helton, we're, we're going to go for a fourth and one with our backup quarterback in there when all we've got to do is punt and play defense. I just There's more of that coaching. It just drives me nuts. This stat from uh, Chris Lowe, ESPN, after Oregon went up uh, 14 to three, the Ducks had 12 office offensive possessions. 11 of those ended in a punt, a turnover or on downs or the end of the game, whatever, you know, first half. Uh, there was no rhythm. Like no. you have to at that point realize we're getting nothing done here. Yeah. Like cling on, you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're going. Not to mention the lack of adjustments that shows, yeah. you know, they they had some they had some nice things early, some nice things scripted. They did some like zone runs, some stretch runs, neutralized Auburn's D-line really well. But then they just hit a brick wall. It was a nice Hail Mary by Justin Herbert, though. He threw it oh. out of the stadium. <laughs> just missed. Just a bit outside. <laughs> hey, I don't know if you heard, it's the 150th anniversary of college football. Yeah. yeah. They, they might have mentioned it a couple times on the broadcast, yeah. on the field, on the jerseys, on everything else. You figure at this point, we have seen it all. <laughs> oh, no, mm. my friends. So let's get to it. <laughs> On Saturday night, we had a coach who was returning to the sport after getting fired for calling escorts on his university-issued telephone, coaching the opener of his new school from a hospital bed that had been (laughs) wheeled into the stadium and placed in some kind of luxury box or something, spawning how many hooker bed jokes while they're in the (laughs) crowd. Hugh Freeze, good to have you back, buddy. Even if your back hurts, we hope it feels better. Back injuries are terrible, but you provided us all with many, many laughs on Saturday night. Syracuse won the game, beat Liberty 24-zip. Freeze supposedly called the plays on first and second down from the bed. I don't know why third couldn't be done, but and he talked to coaches and players during the game. He did a bizarre halftime interview with ESPN from the bed. At the one time, a coach couldn't be like, I got to go. I got to get in the locker room. Talk to them. <laughs> like, you got him, man. Like, the halftime. This is like the Greg Popovich. Like, you're, you're, you're chained yeah. down. I'll ask anything. He, why didn't you? Why, why'd you call those girls on the phone? I mean, you had him. He couldn't leave. <laughs> coach, remember when you said, if you know anything about violations at Ole Miss, you should even, you know. <laughs> what a waste. 
absolute waste. The man could not move. <laughs> they should have said Tom, Tom Mars in for one final conversation. Yeah, we now bring in Tom <laughs> Mars as a special. I wish, I wish the broadcasts were more adversarial. It'd be so great. Like the coaches, the broadcast is snarky. End of the game. Syracuse, Tino, he's jogging across the field for the traditional handshake. Of course, freezes it up in his. He gives him the thumbs up, and Freeze waves back from his <laughs> hospital bed. Uh, uh, social media also mashups with Freeze oh. and the Iowa wave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that no. is a mismatched pair right there. Oh. And then I gotta ask this: while laying in the bed, he wore a visor. He wore his coaching <laughs> visor. Why? What light was getting in your eyes? You're indoors. <laughs> you don't need your visor. The sun is not the stadium lights. You are in a bed. Just turn off the light if you want. There's a switch. And he wore sneakers. Do you? What is the? What is the? What is the etiquette here? When laying in a hospital bed, do you take your sneakers off? I would. <laughs> I would as well. Uh, you know what? He should have had a little Liberty Afghan over his legs. You know, could have been I'm, like, you know, like FDR always had a little uh, blanket over his legs when he was in the wheelchair. Yeah, you know. I'm glad he wasn't in like the blue hospital. Like you know, he was he was dressed, but he wore shorts, sneakers, and his coaching visor. Coaching visor. Hey, look, do you honestly think there's any way Hugh Freeze, who has never met a microphone he didn't like? was going to pass up the chance to, A, coach this game, no matter how ridiculous the scenario was, <laughs> and then, B, be on brand with the visor, because that's his thing, and holding the Coke Zero, because that's his thing. This was Hughes' chance to get back to getting some attention for the first time in two years. He wasn't going to pass it up. Oh, no. Oh, no. He was, he was the gipper from his bed trying to rally the troops. It was unbelievable. So you sit back and you say, okay, you're Liberty. How did you find yourself as the laughing stock <laughs> of college football on Saturday? What concoction? Let, let's like recreate <laughs> the minds of the Fallwells and how they ended up in this situation. Let's think about it. They said, okay, we're going to hire an athletic director. What program has been the most rancid, the most vile, the most controversial in all of college athletics the last 10 years? Let's see. Oh, wait, Baylor, of course. What, what happened to that fired Baylor AD? Let's bring him in. Come on down, Ian McCaw. You can come in and just look the other way like you did at Baylor for all those years while all those horrible things were happening under our prize. So you got, you got Ian in place, all right? You're ready. And then they sit back and they say, all right, where should we fire our coach from? What was the biggest dumpster fire of a program the last 10 years? <laughs> oh, wait, it's the guy who got his program on massive NCAA violations and then got fired for calling hookers from his school phone. So let's bring him on, too. Forgiveness for everybody. Let's bring him in. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Hugh Freeze. What are you getting at, Pete? He, he basically, <laughs> at, at the genesis of the call, you know, the only reason that that the attorney in, in Arkansas, Tom Mars, was going through his phone records to find the escort service calls was because Ole Miss had leaked a fake story to the media saying we are not going to get major NCA violations because all of the violations occurred 
under the watch of Houston Nutt or most of them. So they, 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 they play the media straight up lie so that their recruits and their players won't transfer and the recruits will sign. And Hugh Freeze sits in living rooms and tells parents right to their face and lies to their parents and their coaches and everyone. Then when they get caught in the lie, all Houston Nutt wants is an apology. Just come out and say, we lied. Say you're sorry. And they won't. So then this bulldog attorney finds, <laughs> goes through the phone records and blows them up. And it's like, all you had to do was like the right thing, like 700 times in a row. And, you know, so here you are. Uh, I, I feel bad for the bad back. That's about it. Uh, the rest <laughs> of it was completely absurd. And I it's the most I ever enjoyed a Liberty game. <laughs> but it's but it's not over. Here's the thing. Like he's obviously still has medical issues, which I completely oh, yeah. respect. Bad back. So the plan I read, because I did read a lot of coverage of this yesterday, um, is for him, school spokesman told uh the good people at Syracuse.com he's planning on going to Lafayette for their game next week. Now, Hugh Freeze has no self-awareness. He may have less self-awareness than any coach I've ever dealt with. It obviously saying something. Yes. Obviously, the administrators at Liberty have zero self-awareness because of the hires they made in their athletic department, A, and then B, they just let that ongoing unmitigated disaster unfold on Saturday. So do they have the self-awareness to say, hey, Hugh, go to the hospital, get better. You're our coach. We stuck with you through some pretty hard times. We can deal with some, you know, lumbar issues or whatever you're going through right now. Take two weeks, stretch a little take some pain pills, come back when you can stand up. Like, do they, do they actually have <laughs> right. enough common sense to do Steve that? At Liberty? Right. Yeah. Do the Steve I Kerr. am betting right. against Liberty having common sense. No. Here's, here's what I want. Here's what I want to happen for him to go to Cajun field in Lafayette, Louisiana, and for the press box, not to be able to accommodate a bed. And so they got to take the bed to the sidelines. <laughs> I want to see him on the sidelines in the bed. It'd be awesome. Right next to the they'd have to have like they'd have to have like like red shirt O linemen to protect him from like you know guys running off the field and running That's, into him. Yeah, you, you got to get back coach that literally will roll yes. him back, right? Back <laughs> the bed if the place coming to the sideline. You got to put him by that stationary bike. Just get him. Up. Yes, there you go. There you go. Uh, give him a periscope, you know, so we can look up over the line, you know, the the players and stuff, and see what's going on on the field. The uh, 150th year is off to a roaring start. We couldn't even get close to all the topics we wanted to get to. Listen later in the week. We'll get to the rest, including an important Popeyes update. Anyway, let's do some small sample Heisman. Hello, record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that? We award the Heisman for the whole year. We just like to give it out one game at a time because the whole award's sort of a farce. Pat Forty, who wins your small sample Heisman this week? My small sample Heisman winner, this, this I think is a first for me since we started this last year. It's a wonderful idea. I am giving it to a kicker, not just any kicker, but a guy who on Friday before the first game of a freshman walk-on kicker didn't even know he was going to play the day of the game, didn't know he was going to be the starting kicker. Brandon Talton, Nevada, they tell him, hey, you're the guy. Oh, okay, I'm the guy. Goes out there. Kicks two field goals, both under extraordinary circumstances. The last one, a 56-yard bombed on the last play to beat Purdue and cap this unbelievable rally. The longest kick he's ever made in a game. The only game winner he's ever kicked. And it was actually maybe even the second best moment of the night for him from a kicking standpoint because the first time in the third quarter, he goes out there with the field goal unit 
and the holder isn't there. The holder like spaces out and like the, the kicker sitting there. What do I do? What do I do? And it looked for a minute like he was going to call a timeout, but he didn't. And he waited and they needed the timeout badly later. Waited. The holder runs out there. Chin strap isn't even on. Kneels down. They get the snap off at the last second. He kicks it. He makes that field goal too. So then after the game, they give him a scholarship. How is that for your first day of college football? Not awesome. bad. You are my small sample Heisman winner. Awesome. Pete? Was he fired up when you talked to him, Pat? I know you quoted him in the uh, in the in the in your yeah. Columns I, I talked to him the next day, Saturday. He had gone out to breakfast with his parents after the morning after the game, and he said everywhere he went, people were talking to him. His phone never stopped, and uh, yeah, he was. That's he awesome. definitely had the afterglow of victory about him. It was That's pretty awesome. cool. Hopefully, he went straight from going all out all night in Reno to breakfast with his parents. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, would be my, that would be my hope. Reno so. can do you do you in, man. That town. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. sneaky sneaky town. Go yes. ahead, Pete. Our faithful listeners will know I'm nothing if not predictable and self-serving. So my small sample <laughs> Heisman winner is Hank Buckmeyer, baby. Toot, toot. The bus is rolling. 30 of 51, 407 yards. Took a couple of WWE-esque hits and bounced back to topple the Knowles. Hank, keep rolling, bud. My small sample Heisman is Bryce Huff. Defensive end. I'm going defense. Defensive end from Memphis. Five tackles, one sack, and a safety in the Tigers' 15-10 victory over Old Miss. You can see why the Rebels are running from this series because Memphis is just too good now. Huff wins it on behalf of all of his defensive players. They were tremendous. Held Old Miss to 173 total yards. Look, I know Old Miss is not a great team right now, but it's still an SEC team. And for Memphis to do that is is pretty incredible. It is a big time win for them. It is going to linger because their Ole Miss won't play Memphis anymore. So you can toast that sucker up and down Beale Street for a long time. Congratulations, Bryce Huff. All right, we have said many, many mean, spiteful, small-minded. <laughs> And terrible things on this podcast, as we always do. We have reveled in others' failure and misery. <laughs> so let's say something nice. Can we do that? Pat Forty, say something nice. Sometimes it's a chore for me, but I can do it. And I'm going to say something nice about the freshman quarterbacks who started uh, in, over this Labor Day weekend and what they did. At eight freshman QBs start, seven of them won. Four of them led double-digit comebacks. The comeback guys, Bo Nix from Auburn, Sam Howell from North Carolina, the great Hank Bachmeyer, Pete Thamel fame, and Carson Strong from Nevada. But also an additional shout-out to Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State, Jaden Daniels, Arizona State, Michael Penix Jr., Indiana. Seven freshman QBs winning their first start. Congrats, man. I'm going to say something nice about uh, Ohio State coach Ryan Day. Again, slightly self-serving, but we did a story uh, on Yahoo Sports last week about Coach Day and his initiative to uh, to bring talking about mental health to the forefront, the On Our Sleeves program, the Nationwide Children's Hospital. Coach Day's father committed suicide when he was nine. And through dealing with that process, he has learned a lot about mental health. And he has shared the story very openly, and, uh, very vulnerable, especially for a guy who coaches in a building with a statue of Woody Hayes on the outside. Coaching's changing. How coaches are coaching is changing. I thought it was very brave of Ryan Day and his wife Nina to sit down and, and do this story and really open up about mental health. So props to Ryan Day. It's a, it's a very good thing. And for our listeners, they can, they can Google my story on it last week if they want to learn more about it.
Yeah, really, really good piece, a really good video. And congrats to Ryan Day for making this bigger than just being the Ohio State football coach because he has a huge impact. And you're right. People are talking about mental mental health a little differently. Uh, all right. I'm going to say something nice about Wyoming, the state, the football program, all of it. Smallest state in the country, yet it tries with its university to play pretty big time athletics. Anyone who spent any time in Wyoming, I love it out there. Family there. It is uh, beautiful. It is strange. It is empty. It is like nowhere else. Uh, it can snow in July. You just, it's just largest city has 59,000 residents. That's it. You, you should not be playing division one athletics. You should not have a football program yet. They do. And uh, every once in a while, it really works. And Saturday night was one of those when the Cowboys defeated Missouri in Laramie, Wyoming, sure enough, setting off a party that tested whether there was enough whiskey on the shelf at all of the uh, town establishments. Terrific game. Terrific win for Craig Bowl, who's the head coach. Looks exactly like the kind of guy who runs your local U-Haul location where you get your propane <laughs> tank filled. I it, thought I was going to say something nice, Dan. <laughs> that is nice. Guy I won like a it. bunch of national championships at North Dakota State. I think of the U-Haul a lot. <laughs> who doesn't like the guy that fills up their propane tank? I mean, I, <laughs> atmosphere was awesome at the game. It didn't snow. And so great win for Wyoming. A lot of pride, I know, in that school uh, and in that state. So that is it. That's my something nice. We end on a sort of high note. That's right. Check us out later this week for the regular podcast and the race for the case. Talk to you all later. <laughs>